Welcome to Clear Headed. I'm so happy you're here. It's very LA of me, but I want to start every episode with one big, deep breath. So if you're out running errands or you're sipping your first cup of coffee or tea in the morning, or maybe you're winding down for bed, I want you to join in. So breathe in and breathe out. Okay, let's get clear-headed. We're here, the first episode, and I'm having a conversation with myself, with you, with my girlfriend, Sarah. I want to share what brought me to you, to clarity, and the urge to learn more about what people's aha moments are. Mine was messy. Mine was honest. (laughs) This episode kind of jumps around a little bit. We talk about what brought me to sobriety, a little bit of my history. Sarah shares in her realizations with her sobriety and becoming a non-drinker. And overall, we kind of face the hard truth that booze is bad. (laughs) I really believe that everyone is an expert when it comes to their own realizations. So here's my journey. November 28th, 2020, I decided to get sober, which was a huge moment in my life. And of course, there were a multitude of moments. There was a multitude. There were a multitude of moments that led up to that big one. But something switched in my mind. A light went off. Something clicked. You know, add another cliche phrase. (laughs) But the point is, it took one moment for me to decide to change my life. I started drinking when I was 15, but before I took my first sip, I actually used to be the friend who would write prayer requests, my Nashville is showing, (laughs) for my friends to stop drinking. Booze was a constant in my life. A history of unacknowledged alcoholism runs deep on both sides of my family, and I was always right in the throes of it. And there's too much to unpack with that for this episode, but the point is alcohol has always been present in my life, and it was like a non-negotiable character that I thought I had to have a relationship with. Wasn't going anywhere. It was going to be there, so I might as well just be friendly. And I made it work. And there were points in my life where it was a lot more than friendly. When I was 20, 19, 20, moved to LA, got into the club scene, played into the party culture of LA and was drinking almost every night. Uh, And then when I turned 21 and I no longer needed someone to buy my Tito's, which I love so much, um, the dependency started creeping in. And I don't know, there's so much history that goes into building uh, an abusive relationship with alcohol. I guess what I want to boil down to is the moment, my moment of realizing I didn't need to hit the rock bottom that you see on movies or TV shows in order to acknowledge that I was out of control. My moment was when I looked at my life on the morning of November 28th and said, I hate it here. I think that I had so many realizations that were necessary before I had my defining moment of I'm not going to drink anymore. And it really started a friend sent me a clip of Nikki Glaser, you know, the comedian Nikki Glaser. Well, she's a non-drinker. 
And I didn't know that. And it wasn't the point of the clip. But she was talking about how she read Alan Carr's Easy Way to Quit Drinking. And when I heard that there was something in my gut, right between your rib cage and your the pit of my stomach and my core, like screaming at the top of <laughs> their lungs, order that book and read that book. And then as equally as pulling as, as that voice was, was a voice that said, do not, because you cannot go back. I, it's like I knew it in my head. And I ordered the book, but I didn't quit drinking. And I started reading the book. And in the book, it says, you don't need to stop drinking while you're reading this book. Just don't be drinking literally while you're reading this book. Mm -hmm. And by the end, I guarantee you that you will never want to drink again. And so I'd sprinkle in chapters of that book into my days. And I'd try to do seven days, no drinking. I'd make it to two. I'd try okay, maybe I need a a bigger commitment. I need a 30-day, a full month, no drinking, and I'd make it to seven. It just never really clicked. There's all of these like trials and tribulations, right? Mm -hmm. And I think for everyone, in my experience anyway, people that I know and I love, you go through all of these things, you have these moments, and it's like you're in quicksand, you know? You're, You're trying so hard to get out, but you just keep sinking until you finally realize what you have to do. Yeah. And that might be asking for help or something in your brain clicks. It it switches, right? Yeah. And there's it's almost hard to put into words. It's hard to articulate why. I think the craziest thing about this realization that I had that, by the way, just completely launched me into this podcast. The craziest thing to me is that I never saw it coming. And I also saw it coming and was terrified of it. It's this weird combination of not being able to understand the impact or the severity or the toxicity or the dependency until you're out of it. And also while you're in it, never wanting to like change your perspective, like a double-edged sword. You want to be happier. You want to be better. I wanted to be, I wanted to escape my reality. That is why I drank so much. I I hated going to sleep. I drink myself into to sleep literally every night. I'd wake up, I'd be hungover and I'd drink to get through the hangover. And then by the time, you know, four o'clock hits and you're two beers in, everyone else in society is already drinking. So you you ramp up and it's just this cycle and it's like you have the treadmill on a 10 and you're running with it. You're running with it, but you are exhausted and your shoes are untied and you're going to freaking eat it at any moment. But you have to reach for that stop button and your balance might be off and you anticipate falling. And what if you fall on this treadmill that's going at 10 and your shoes are untied? And and so you just keep running. And I think when all you've ever known is running on a treadmill at 10 – it's a lot more comforting than stopping it yeah. and going, whoa, now I'm still. Yeah. And now I have to, what do I do now? Do I get off the treadmill? Do I put the treadmill at a two? Like you're literally, you're stopped. Yeah. And you're so used to being at 10, you know? Yeah. And that's a very scary and lonely place to be. Yep. But I was already lonely and I I wasn't even scared. I just, I had this knowing that something bad was going to happen if I kept up with it. And I think what I want to share in this episode is that 
you're capable of not hitting the stereotypical rock bottom before you get your shit together. You're capable of assessing and pivoting and acknowledging the hard truths of your actions if if you're uncomfortable enough and also if you love yourself enough to make the change. I was so uncomfortable and then in so many different aspects of my life, I was working towards complete self-love in the relationship department, in my career, being really confident in who I was as like a comedian and my voice and being happy alone and figuring all of that stuff out. And then I was sabotaging myself with tequila every freaking night and wondering why I was unhappy. So going back to the 28th, which was actually not the day after Thanksgiving that year, it was the day after the day after Thanksgiving because the day after Thanksgiving, I was so hungover. Sarah and I had gotten into a petty fight about (laughs) some text message and I was taking shots of tequila in between conversations with her parents upstairs in a bedroom closet and drinking rosé and it was just a mess. Yeah, and we and we had had like a very tumultuous Thanksgiving and this yeah. was like the first Thanksgiving that you spent with my family. Mm-hmm. My family can be difficult at times and historically I always thought that drinking made it easier and better and I will say being sober now and not drinking at family functions makes it way better. I think the problem was actually the alcohol. Mm. And I think alcohol for me and for you has always sort of been the problem. But yes. a lot of people look at it like it's the answer. Yes. I constantly thought that booze was an answer Oh, was a quick fix. It's marketed to us as a quick fix. It's marketed to us as a, re- a relaxant, if that's a word, to a, a wind down in a glass. Take the edge off. Take the edge off. Confidence booster. Liquid courage. Liquid courage. And I was so used to using that. I, when I was drunk in the past, probably in my early 20s, I was in a relationship that was super committed I felt really caged. I felt really stagnant, but I didn't I didn't have the tools to to even know what I was feeling. And so I would mute what I was feeling through drinking. And then the inhibitions came out and then the true feelings came out, so I thought. But they were amplified because it was tequila feelings. It wasn't real, grounded, logical understanding your actions, feelings. And then I'd wake up the next day and I'd feel regretful and I would turn and I'd say, God, it was the booze. It was the booze. But here's my real big realization. You ready? Yes, it's the booze. I'm choosing to drink it though. It's me. It's me. It's my choice. It's my core of escaping that I was in the throes of, that I think anybody can get in the throes of and reach for a drink and think they have a solution and create more problems. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's easier to reach for a drink and sort of numb those feelings than to examine them and be like, where are these coming from? Uh, Why do I feel like this? Mm -hmm. Because that's so much harder. Because then there's a lot that comes after that. You realize how you're feeling and and then you have to go, okay, so do I not want to be in this relationship? Am I going to have to break up with this person? And like it's a whole snowball effect. So 
ultimately your brain goes, yeah, no, just have a drink and forget about those feelings. Push them away for as long as you possibly can. Yeah. But you know, there's no longevity in that. There's no longevity in blanketing the feelings with booze. There isn't. When I realized it was me, and again, it wasn't the exact day after Thanksgiving. I had like a full 24 hours hungover, processing, kind of having my aha moments throughout the next day. I realized that I couldn't do it anymore. This facade that I had built up in my head that I'm different than my family, that I have a hold on it, that I'm young, that I have better control, that I'm better, that I'm better. Really, what it was is thinking that I was better than any other person that I had ever seen who was struggling, who was drowning, who was fucking up their life and the people they love lives around them. It was like this huge smack to my ego of like, you're not better. Mm -hmm. You're the exact same. And And there's no shame in that. There's no shame in it. And it's hard to hear. And it's a, a level of breaking this wall that I had built that I had never even been cracked before. And it was like all of a sudden, once I admitted it to myself, full on admit, feel it in your body, understand in your core, it's true. You're not better, the exact same. You have the exact same potential failure that anybody else does. Everything's shattered. It feels like you've gotten hit by a bus. Everything shattered. Yeah. And it was no, it was unpickupable. <laughs> Is that a word? It, I could not pick up those shattered pieces and put them back together to build a wall. No that wall would how never be the same. Hard I tried. It you can't unknow it. It's you just can't. Mm-hmm. And anyone who's out there who is struggling, who is trying, who is sitting in so many realizations, you're gonna have to break. It's going to shatter. But what I can say is that what comes after that is the most beautiful wall. <laughs> gate I should say because you can let things flow in and out now you're not just keeping it out that you'll ever have in your entire life okay I have to tell you about one of my favorite non-algo twos with it being the start of 2022 maybe you're doing dry January or you're literally just looking for something stylish in your fridge that won't give you a headache busty lush is for you Busty Lush malt beverage was created by the wife of a brewer and mother of two, Laurel Harrop, who became inspired to create something masterful, flavorful, and non-alcoholic that reflected a vibrant, female-forward design concept. My personal favorite is the She's Golden. It's got notes of tropical fruit, moderate bitterness, and a clean, dry finish. Their newest flavor, She's Divine Oatmeal Stout, is launching at the end of this month and has distinct, silky, smooth, sweet, and nutty characteristics with mild bitterness. It's the perfect after-dinner treat with subtle hints of caramel, toffee, chocolate, coffee, and maple. Okay, yum. You can stay updated with all the Busty Lush products and find where to buy them all on BustyLush.com or at BustyLush on Instagram. Okay, so I broke, I shattered, I sat, I realized, and then I, I kept it really close for the first, for my first nine days of sobriety. I was so 
We came back from San Diego. I threw myself into an idea that I had to keep my time preoccupied, which was, oh shit, kid. (laughs) Still a great idea. I ordered stickers. I ordered supplies. I made graphics. I did whatever I could to not drink. And then we met 10 days later and I admitted that I had a problem. In my car, I picked you up, we sat, we got coffee, and I told you I had a problem. And that was like a whole other shattering. It makes it that much more real. It becomes so real. So real. But it's also like a relief because you're not just carrying around this secret anymore. Yeah. You relinquish a little bit of control when you put it out there and you say, listen, I'm struggling. This is hard. I have a problem. It takes it to a whole nother level, but it's like a weight off your shoulders. It takes it to a whole nother level, but it also gets rid of that internal power that it had over me. The shame spiraling, everything for me kind of ceased once I vocalized it. And I think you always in your head work it up to be this like monumental thing. Like no one's going to understand and everyone's going to judge me. And it's like, I'm going to lose friends and people are going to look at me differently. But I think oftentimes when you're brave enough to say, hey, I have a problem, it's admirable. People look at you and they're like, I support you and I'm here for you. Yeah. And let's walk this path together. Yeah. Granted, we're partners. Right. And I had been sober before. Mm -hmm. And I knew exactly like you knew that first time that I got sober that it would never be the same. I would never have the same relationship with alcohol I could never just look at it as like a free and easy, you know, woohoo, I don't have to think about my problems. There was always, for me, a sort of guilt associated with drinking. Yeah. And I went back to it because it was so much easier. In society, I worked in a restaurant, everyone was drinking, and I went back to it, but I never really enjoyed it after that first aha moment. Yeah. When I first got sober, I just... I was doing it to fit in, basically. Well, can I just say, because I'm thinking about anybody who's like listening and thinking, oh my God, I'm never going to get sober because what? Then I'm never going to be able to enjoy drinking again. Here's the thing. You're not really enjoying it now. You might enjoy what temporary escape you think it's giving you. I guess I should say if you're abusing it. Exactly. You're not enjoying it. If you're dependent on it, if it's happening every day, You can't enjoy something that you are tethered to and that determines your entire life. Yeah, if you're finding yourself in situations in which your decision-making or your thought process revolves around drinking, you're in a bit of a sticky situation. If every time you're going to lunch, you're thinking, "Mm, what am I going to – am I going to get a glass of wine? Am I going to have a beer? If your thoughts and your life revolves around alcohol – to probably examine that and that's where I was at yeah that's where I was at too and I think that you know as sobriety I'm over a year sober so are you as time goes on with sobriety I have more and more realizations and I know that it will never stop because life never stops showing you things and you never stop unlocking keys that make life make more sense that's what I think. But being over a year, the hard truth is, holy shit, it was so much worse than I thought 
even when I first got sober. Mm -hmm. You remove something out of your life and you really start. You go, ooh, this is a situation in which I would be drinking. Ooh, this would be so much easier to past Kate in my head if I was just going to have a tequila shot. I mean, literally before coming here, I was so nervous about this episode. I thought, wow, tequila, man, would have been my solution. Mm -hmm. But it's not. It's not. So I guess my takeaway with sobriety so far, and it will ever be changing, and we will always do episodes because everyone's journey is different. But I guess my biggest takeaway is I can be present in the present and not feel the need to escape my reality. And I have the tools now. I'm sober to create the reality that I want. And that is so much better than taking shots with friends and having a spicy mark. And that's how I feel. One of my like biggest realizations, like as I got deeper into sobriety was I had lived most of my life, my like adult life thinking, wow, life is really hard. Mm -hmm. It's really hard. I don't like going to work and I don't like my relationship and I don't like a lot of things. Everything seemed really difficult. And so I drank because I thought drinking would make life a little bit less hard and a little bit less difficult. And that is how I lived my life for many years. And when I finally stopped drinking, I realized that my life was so difficult because I was drinking all the time. Yeah. It was the alcohol. Yeah. When I stopped drinking, I woke up and I didn't have a headache. And work wasn't so bad. I didn't mind going to work. I actually enjoyed it. Life wasn't sad. Life wasn't gray. And that was a crazy realization for me, something that I had held on to so tightly because I thought it was making my life just a little bit easier. Yeah. Once I removed it, I realized life isn't actually that hard. Life isn't actually that difficult. I mean, there are things that happen and that we have to deal with, but I'm, I can manage them. Yeah. I can manage them through meditation, through therapy, yeah. through friends, through exercise, through the beauty of nature and of life. Yeah. I rediscovered myself and I rediscovered why I love being alive and why I love human connection. And just a you know, warning for that. That doesn't come with your first 30 days of sobriety. It doesn't come with your first 60, 90. It takes time. And you're going to feel a lot of feelings that are foreign, that are new, that are heightened, that are heightened. Totally. And that process is part of it. It's part of it. And it's different for everyone, it you is. know? It is. But there's a lot of, a lot of light at the end of that tunnel. There is. And it's beautiful. Wow. Well, thanks for this combo. I'm really excited about the conversations that we're going to all partake in on this next season of Clear Headed. Let me know what your thoughts were. Leave it in the reviews and make sure to follow us both on Apple Podcast and Instagram and subscribe on Spotify. And please remember, if you have had a moment of clarity in your life, connect with us on the DMs and maybe we can have a conversation about it. Until next time.